What's going on, guys? Greg here, and you are tuned into Know Your Rights with Ellen Firestone. Today, we are going to be going over Article 17 and 18. Ellen, why don't you tell us about Article 17? Thanks, Greg. So, Article 17 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights has two parts. Part one, everyone has the right to own property alone as well as in association with others. And part two, no one shall be arbitrarily deprived of his property. Hearing part one and part two of Article 17, you could draw the comparison between communism and capitalism. True, as as their philosophies relate to property. Um, when I reread the article, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting that the writers or the creators of the declaration made sure to point out everyone has the right to own property alone as well as in association with others. They're not saying it's one or the other. They're so saying they're it's pointing, both. Yeah, they're, they're pointing mm -hmm. more towards the fact that this could be a collection Correct. or it's, a group effort. Yep. And the whole ideology of communism is economic equality through the elimination of private property. Right. So it seems like that theory or philosophy would be a direct violation of this human right. That may be why countries like the Soviet Union abstained from adopting this document as we learned from Ella Torrey in our 70th anniversary podcast. And you could also say that Article 18 would be a contrast to the communist philosophy. Right. Article 18 states, everyone has the right to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. This right includes freedom to change his religion or belief and freedom either alone or in community with others and in public or private to manifest his religion or belief in teaching, practice, worship, and observance. So we're fortunate to have with us today Annika Cott. Annika is the Youth and Community Programs Manager with an organization called Interfaith Philadelphia, and she's here today to talk with us about this human right. Hi, Annika. Thanks so much for joining us and being willing to talk about this human right on freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. But before we get into that, uh, if you want to tell a little bit about yourself and the Interfaith Philadelphia organization, that would be great. Sure. Thanks for having me, Ellen. Um, it's a real pleasure to be here. My name is Annika Kott. I am the Youth and Community Programs Manager with an organization called Interfaith Philadelphia. And I came to this work from a background in international development and community development and planning. Um, so really from the secular world, how can we bring about bridging communities together as well as civic engagement? And um, I've really approached that work from that perspective. Uh -huh. And since my time in the organization, I've been really deeply involved in developing um, interfaith spaces for young people to explore their own identity as well as bringing the community together through trainings and experiential programming and interfaith work in the city of Philadelphia and beyond. So the organization itself is about 15 years old, and we were founded in a post-9-11 context. Um, a group of lay and religious leaders from around the Philadelphia area who deeply already cared about interfaith work and were motivated by the really tragic events of 9-11 came together and decided there really needed to be an independent body and organization um, tackling interfaith relations in the wider Philadelphia region. Uh -huh. And since our founding 15 years ago, we've grown to bringing about interfaith work and understanding in a variety of sectors in this region, um, including working with young people in schools, religious communities, local government and nonprofits, and to the private sector in terms of um, business trainings as well. Wow. That's awesome. And then um, how many different religions or how, the number of religions do you it's, work with? It's hard to say. I think we 
we do a good job of um, keeping our table really wide, meaning that we welcome anyone who orients around religion in different ways to be a part of our work, whether that means um, you are secular non-practicing to someone who's been deeply steeped in a religious tradition for many generations. And we staff something called the Religious Leaders Council of Greater Philadelphia, which is sort of the senior level religious leader representation of 31 different religious traditions in this region. So if that kind of gives you a taste of the diversity, I'd say that table definitely represents it well. Uh So now I'd like to get into this human right a little bit. And I was wondering if you could tell us how your organization promotes or protects this human right. Sure. So I think from our perspective, um, we're a grassroots community organization really focused on what um, a religiously diverse democracy can look like in the city and region of Philadelphia. And so our work is hyper-local in that way. We want to get to know the religious communities in the city, in this community, and understand deeply how people orient around religion, religious diversity in different ways. And so bolstering sort of the freedom of religion, freedom of belief, and, and creating spaces where dialogue and engagement can happen around around that and, and people can express that in different ways, I think looks different for different kinds of communities and, and how people are seeking to do this work. So the main tenets of how we try to focus in on fostering this is by making sure people all have the ability to express their religious expression in a way that works best for them and really showcase the lived religious experience of people in this community. Um, And that happens through making sure we can create spaces where people are fostering authentic relationships of trust and solidarity. And it also happens through us providing programming to the wider community around skill development for interfaith engagement. We feel like those two key things are really key to cultivating a culture in Philadelphia where people do feel like they have the ability to truly express who they are. Right. Good. And then how does this group either deal with or or talk about the importance of just religious tolerance? Mm, That's a great question. Um, We like to to let communities sort of speak for themselves in that way. And and that I think that happens through um, the spaces we create where people are able to get to know their neighbors who are religiously different from them, Mm -hmm. um, where people can talk about sort of the nuances that go into their their belief systems and their and how their community addresses certain issues or ideas, mm-hmm. and and so being able to hear that from your neighbor and see how they live it out in their daily life, as well as sort of fostering and taking a posture of listening and authentic sharing, and and basically being able to find a way for communities to all sit at the same table and give up just equally give up just enough for everyone to be able to be present and listen and and hear from the other person while not having to um, give up their identity at the door if that makes sense yes absolutely what is your um your take on the importance of people being able to choose their own religion obviously you know we don't want religions forced on people but the importance of that and then also the importance of being able to change your thought or change your your belief system or or your religion Mm, that's a good question um i think oftentimes sort of the one key tenant of our work will work with pretty much any community who's interested in supporting 
interface understanding, but our sort of one rule of thumb is that proselytization cannot happen in any of our community spaces or um, programmatic spaces that we create. Uh -huh. um, and we feel like that's incredibly important that you can still authentically be yourself and share your beliefs and celebrate those differences, but that everyone in our community has the right to um, believe what they wish and express it in the ways that make sense to them. And that learning across those differences can only happen when that is fully respected. And I think oftentimes in the programming and spaces that we create, we have a lot of what we call intrafaith issues, which means that um, people are often more surprised by maybe the nuances and differences within um, a religious tradition that's their own, that somebody is expressing or practicing in a different way. And that's oftentimes more the, the space where people get tripped up or really challenged by others' belief systems because it looks so similar to their own, uh -huh. um, but is, is, is somehow essentially different from how they're interpreting their religious tradition. Mm -hmm. um, and so giving people the ability to explore that and, and work through that, but also um, understand kind of the greater landscape and nuance and, and maybe foster an appreciation and respect for that intrafaith diversity that can oftentimes cause a lot of tension is, is something that we often address within our programming. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that oftentimes when I'm thinking about people sort of choosing their own religion, it's people challenging each other who maybe call themselves the same thing but are interpreting that religious belief in a different way. Uh-huh. Thank you. I'm sure your, your group um, has come across violations of this human right. What types of things have you seen and what have you done to handle it or, um, you know, to, again, protect that human right? So there have been several instances in sort of recent history in Philadelphia and the wider area where there have been religiously focused hate crimes that have happened against certain communities. So I'm thinking specifically of a pig's head that was um, deposited on the front steps of a mosque in North Philadelphia, uh, the desecration of a, um, a Jewish cemetery in the Northeast, as well as um, some swastikas painted on houses in Northern Liberties, as well as some things that have happened in South Philadelphia. So there's some pretty concrete examples in our sort of recent history in the last few years in the city where... Um, some real painful moments have happened. Mm -hmm. And we like to think of our work at the organization as being both reactive and proactive. And I think on the reactive side of that, when a moment of true pain like that bubbles up in a community, what I'm so grateful for in our work is that we've spent the last 15 years creating these trusting relationships with community leaders across different religious traditions within mm -hmm law enforcement and within local government so that behind the scenes we're able to orchestrate and hold sort of a nonpartisan space for all of those entities to come together and address the issue in the way that it needs to for both community safety and, and support. And then I think in a more public facing way, how we're able to address that is creating those community level spaces where we can both celebrate the traditions of and identities of people who are being targeted and create a facilitated and safe space for the wider community to engage with what the community who's being persecuted wants to share and celebrate about their own identity and tradition. Uh -huh. um, and, and that oftentimes, that work also happens on the sort of proactive side of things where we're continuously doing programming in the community that, that fosters that space and gives people the ability to sort of learn and, and broaden their horizon. And so hopefully um, we're preventing a lot of those instances from happening before they, before anyone gets the idea that people are exposed to enough of this that um, that's not something that they would ever consider doing. Right. That's fantastic. I mean, I think it's wonderful the, the space that you're creating uh, for this communication to happen and obviously promoting more understanding, like you said, so you can prevent some of the, some of those types of things from even occurring. So the other thing 
I'd like to ask is for our listeners, uh, I'd like to, you know, we tell them what the human right is, but then what are the types of things that people can do to volunteer or to promote or protect this human right? Like what kind of actions can, can they do? Mm. Yeah, so uh, our call to action at Interfaith Philadelphia has recently been Dare to Understand. And wow. I think we really take that to heart, that uh-huh. that understanding is not always a given and it's not always something that's really easy to do. And it takes sort of the engagement in, in a brave space and a brave posture to really to really opt into having that experience. So I think that's been our call to action to the wider community for a while and, and really pushing people to step outside their own comfort zone in a way that makes sense for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's some tangible things you can do with that call to action. And the really obvious one is going to our website, interfacephiladelphia.org, and um, perusing through the ever-shifting calendar of public events that we offer and training for folks to really develop these skills or have an experience in a in um, a space that might be really different from their own and, mm-hmm. and learn from communities that are, you know, in their own backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also, you know, if you're not able to do that or that's maybe not something you feel comfortable doing just yet, I think there's still some really key ways that people can be a great interfaith ally in their own way and in their own space. And some of that just has to do with, first of all, recognizing and unpacking your own relationship to religious identity, however that looks like for your for your own background mm-hmm. and, and doing that self-reflection. Some of it is about staying informed about the issues both globally and locally that are facing religious communities and how, how they're experiencing those issues. Mm-hmm. Another thing to do is always when you're interacting with folks not to assume anything about their religious identity, even if their um, physical presentation might indicate to you um, that they believe a certain thing. I think it's always great to, as much as you can, practice a posture of curiosity and try to ask as many kind of curious and non-judgmental questions that Mm -hmm. you can. And and I recognize that that can take a lot of practice to be able to do. And then finally, to reach out to people who are in your own community and down the street from you. Um, I think oftentimes we don't appreciate the different kinds of diversity that are within our own communities. And we often seek to find someone who's the complete opposite of us to, to have some sort of transformational experience and um, reaching out and connecting to the communities that are already planted around you is a great way to start broadening your horizon in a really easy way. Wow. Thank you so much. Those are some great actions that people can take. And I love the uh, dare to understand uh, that that says it all right there. So, Annika, what I would also like to ask you is specifically about youth and some of the things that that they can do uh, to create understanding within their groups um, around this human right and uh, interfaith, your interfaith Philadelphia organization. Yeah, so um, specifically Interfaith Philadelphia has a lot of youth programming options available to people for whom this is something they're really interested in. But historically within the organization, we've had a high school initiative called Walking the Walk, which I'm actually um, a very early graduate of, so I can attest to the deep impact it had on me Uh um, when I was a teenager. But basically our program model involves taking a cohort of around 20 to 30 young people from um, different religious communities in a localized part of the Philadelphia region, and they meet every other Sunday during the school year, and each session rotates by visiting a different house of worship that's part of the program. Uh And and during those sessions, we um, get to explore the sacred space that community has, maybe celebrate a holiday or try a different kind of food, um, really get to know what that community is like on a very personal level, and, and the youth from that 
organization or congregation get to kind of host. And then the rest of those sessions are usually devoted to dialogue and exploration of our own identities, um, what we believe, and what we're sort of muddling through as teens in terms of um, religion and identity and how we relate to the wider world, talking about current events and politics and religion and how all of that together is influencing who we are and how we want to address that in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, the program has a component of service and oftentimes the groups will be partnered with a local nonprofit to do um, some sort of community service together so that we can bring together the morals or ideals that we all hold together and value because um, there's so much overlap within the religious landscape of things that we can all agree upon mm-hmm. um, and really execute that out in, in the community in a really realistic um, and visible way. Mm-hmm. That is fantastic. And uh, you just mentioned something that I, I'd also like you to to kind of expand on if you can. When you're when you're meeting with Interfaith Philadelphia with these um, these different religions, are you finding there are far more similarities than differences? I think it's both. Okay. Um, I think oftentimes when people enter into uh, interfaith work or an interfaith experience, they're really excited to value and uplift things like the golden rule, which are just so deeply embedded and essential to pretty much every religious expression there is. Uh Um, And we really take time to celebrate things like that. Um, You know, and and how we, how we welcome the stranger, how, how we care for the poor and needy. I think those things are sort of overarching among so many religious traditions. Mm -hmm. And it's a really great jumping off point to, to building a relationship across different. But I think the, what Interfaith Philadelphia really pushes folks to do is to dig one level deeper and, and recognize that there are some really key differences among religious traditions and ideologies. And, and those things are actually the places where we really need to do the work and we need to do the work to be able to celebrate and learn from those differences mm-hmm. and not walk away with sort of this idea of like, we're all really the same um, because those differences are what make us unique right, and are what right. contribute to sort of the amazing fabric of, of the democracy we live in. And, and it's okay to have different definitions of justice. We just need to learn how to navigate what that means to each other. So, so when people ask me that, I, I really hope that, you know, after having an interfaith experience, they can both value things like the overarching sameness of the golden rule and things like that, but also to, to, to go one step deeper and, and develop an appreciation and ability to navigate those differences in a really beautiful way. That's wonderful. And thanks so much for being with us today to uh, really dig into this Article 18 and have a better understanding of, you know, like you said, similarities and differences and what we can do to get more involved to promote and protect this human right. Thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. In closing, I'd like to emphasize the importance of this human right and the freedom to have a religion or spiritual practice that works for you. Then, Dare to really understand others who may have a different thought or belief system so that we may maintain a world of peace and tolerance. And remember, the more people we have knowing their 30 human rights and in action promoting and protecting these rights for themselves and others, the better local, national, and world culture we will create. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to Know Your Rights with Ellen Firestone. Stay tuned for our next episode where we go over Article 19 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights.